Hello and welcome to another episode of Cast It Into the Fire podcast. I'm Sarah. I'm Bill. And we're going to discuss the first two episodes of Rings of Power. And people have been talking about this for a while and... Um, I have not read any of the reviews yet. I just see people seem to like it so far. And it was good. It was interesting. And we definitely have some thoughts that we're going to share with you. Now, this is going to contain spoilers for both episodes. And I guess some minor spoilers about the Silmarillion, too. But, you know, that book's been out for enough years that... I mean, I probably shouldn't flex having read it because I've been a Tolkien fan for how long and I've only actually read it all the way through as of this year. But, yeah, you can uh, read that at any time. And so as we may have mentioned in the last, you know, podcast introducing the new TV shows, this and House of the Dragon... Uh, I said that Rings of Power is taking place in the Second Age, so this is after the War of Wrath and long before the Last Alliance when Sauron is overthrown, right before the events in Lord of the Rings. Now, they uh, they gloss over the first. Yeah, they do. Like, the first 10 to 20 minutes or so is like them summarizing the first age I think it is, something like that yeah, and I will say this I'd still count this as um, not really canon more in like the fan fiction kind of direction, but still good but it is loosely built around the story of Celebrimbor the elf that was involved in the making of the various magic rings of power um so anyway, it opens with nothing is evil in the beginning, which, you know, that's... More or less true. And that's how it works in Tolkien's writing, yeah. is that things start out good and evil is a corruption of things that were good in the beginning. That's kind of the theology of how that world works. And um, it starts in Valinor, where it says, The world is so young, there was no sunrise but light. Which, you know, yes, the sun and the moon were created a bit later. And it starts with Galadriel and a bunch of other elves as children. And they're running around and playing. And Galadriel's built herself a little origami swan boat. Which is a nice nod to Lord of the Rings where she has an actual swan boat that she uses to... You know, go around on the river in her uh, Lothlorien. It seems to also follow Galadriel pretty consistently. Uh, it's one of the main protagonists. So now, she's got her boat and it's sailing really nicely and other elven kids are throwing rocks at it. Because I guess that perfect uh, elven Valinor still has bullying in it. It has kids being kids. Oh, uh, okay, not... Bullying, bullying, but they were they were definitely trying to sink her little boat while she didn't want them to. And uh, a rock hits her boat and it sinks. And um, she has a talk with her brother Finrod. So are we, we're going to go into Yeah, we are going already. to go into this already. Already, yeah. So that was like one of those weird little missteps. And again, this is purely my opinion. 
and I understand what they're doing. They're trying to be Tolkien-esque, but I, I, I can't even imagine Tolkien See, yeah, doing this. Finrod gives this speech about how a ship floats and a stone sinks <laughs> because the stone is looking down <laughs> to the darkness, and the ship yeah. can feel the darkness pulling it down, but it gazes up at the light. Yeah, he, he goes into this whole metaphysical thing about ships and stones and darkness and light, and it's like, one of those things, like, I saw that actually coming while he was beginning to do it. I was like, is he going to, like, give some weird nonsense, esoterical answer? And he did. And it's like, no, that's not how that works. <laughs> ships ships don't sink because they're constructed to be lighter than water. And At least this wasn't Aaron Diller Curdan saying this. Yeah, uh. yeah. He's not an engineer. We'll put it that way. And I was just, I was just listening to that. I was like, okay... Like, I could imagine some people being like, okay, but that's not how that works. It works with actual, you know, science where ships are carved a certain way and they, you know, have air and water displaced a certain way. And that's it's <laughs> versus stones, which are literally just solid rock. And of course, you know, stones can do whatever as long as something's propelling them. So that's uh, in working with gravity. So, you know. Gravity's not a thing. It's all lightness and darkness. And Galadriel says about how if the light's in the water, it's hard to tell whether the light is down or up and which way should she follow, which is some foreshadowing, but it's also weird. Uh, Yeah, remember this, folks. And I will not be surprised if this somewhat infuriatingly gets brought up like again like <laughs> 10 episodes later like they're talking about ships you can imagine just some poor engineer or sailors just sort of like what the hell are you talking about anyway go ahead. and they have and it says that they have no word for death which I don't remember I, how true that was if there was some sort of thing with that well See, I'm not sure there either. Like, on the one hand, Valinor seems to be, like, an almost heavenly realm. Yeah. But, yes, elves are immortal, but you're saying they never have, like, a boating accident? Or, like, <laughs> what if they're... Sorry. I don't think they're vegan. So, like, <laughs> do they hunt animals? What about... It's it's Maybe it's, like, Valhalla or, like, uh, you know... Or, like, some versions of what Heaven. About where they, where they what about plants? What about sea creatures? No, but that's what I'm saying. Maybe it's, like, Valhalla or some versions of Heaven where they can just take something and eat it and it grows back automatically. I mean, granted, Tolkien didn't really go into this in either direction except for that, um... He just made it. Yeah. Elves didn't really have a reason to die from anything there. They didn't have any war yet. And yeah. So, anyway, about that... So then, this doesn't last. Morgoth shows up. They just said evil, but this would be Morgoth. He shows up and he destroys the two uh, trees of Valinor that give it its light. And you can see that the land has been destructed and the elves sail off. Um, now, I should uh, I should have said this in the beginning, but now is a good time to bring up. This episode is called A Shadow of the Past. So you can see it's looking back to the past and um, the first age. Next it shows battle with um, the forces of Morgoth. Um, and it looks pretty cool with dragons versus eagles. Yeah, that was really cool. They immediately went to a battle scene, the first battle. And that was uh, 
that was awesome. You see just dragons and eagles fighting each other. You see, uh, <clears throat> you see the elves. You see, this was the beginning of the orcs, I believe, coming out and all that stuff. And like, they never say this, but I think this is probably a depiction of the War of Wrath that um, ends the First Age. Yeah. Now, there were other battles besides the War of Wrath, but... That was one of the I main think things. it was the War of Wrath. I think it was too, and it was very, uh, it, it, it was, you know, full of action and all that, but it was also, you know, you see the aftermath and you see, like, yes, all these they, dead bodies and You blood see the, and like, the helmets of the fallen warriors, and you see yeah. them actually pick up and look at a helmet, and it's a regular elven helmet, we, but I think it might be a nod to the Children of Horan. That's what we thought. We thought when we saw it was like, because, well, it looks exactly like, uh, one of the ones in some of the art. Yeah, uh, almost. It doesn't have a dragon on the crest, but the way they just focus the in on the helmet is, and the yeah. design, it looks very like that. Yeah. So it's, uh... <laughs> yeah. Very, very... I thought that was very interesting. I did think that was a nod. Um, and I don't know if they'll go into it at some point, but yeah. So, Morgoth is defeated, but there was a much, you know, sorrow for the elves because so many were killed. And orcs and Sauron, their evil is still spreading. There's still orcs, there's still Sauron. And they call Sauron a sorcerer, which, yeah, in the broadest sense he is, but Sauron is a fallen Maya, so just a lesser order, you know, in comparison with the Valar. On the level with an angelic being, or in this case, more like a demon, he's not just a human sorcerer. And they don't really go into that. No, they just say that he is, uh, or imply that that was the case. We don't, we, again, we don't know what's going to be mentioned later. And Finrod vows to defeat him, but he ends up being killed, and he's marked, uh, cut into him with a three-pronged, uh, symbol that, this is apparently Sauron's sigil. Now, this never shows up in Lord of the Rings in any way, so I think this is going to be a repeated motif in this show, because they keep showing it in various things. Um, now, I will say a book difference is that um, when Finrod is killed in the book, um, he actually dies in battle with a werewolf. Oh, yeah, you mentioned And he destroys that. Yeah. the werewolf, too. Yeah. Now, I wonder if that's supposed to be a nod to Fen- Fenris and uh, um, uh, Tor or whatever. Or it, Tyr. It might be. Um, but it, in this case, um, he certainly didn't look like he'd lost a battle with a werewolf. No. Um, fine in that. So, again, that's like another deviation from canon. And. Um, Galadriel and takes up her brother's vow, and she hunts Sauron with uh, some other elves going with her. And this hunt goes on for apparently centuries all over um, all Middle over Earth. Earth yeah. And they make Galadriel like this, like borderline. Not gonna say ruthless, because she's clearly still like cares for her uh, the people under her command. At least when they bring it to her attention, but she's very clearly obsessed with Sauron, finding and killing Sauron. And apparently Sauron is 
for somebody who's evil and spreading in Middle Earth, Sauron himself is pretty hard to find. Yeah, he's just never found, and they're finding these centuries-old traces of him, and a lot of people are thinking, oh, even though there's evil, they think he's gone, and... Galadriel, of course, isn't buying it. She's like, to be no, fair, just yeah. the presence of a sigil doesn't automatically mean yeah. it. It means he's got followers who are going to put his mark on things. But yeah, although but it's implied that it. that the sigils are branded in with some kind of dark magic into the stones and stuff they find it on. Um, and. The hunt goes as far as um, the Forage Waste, which is basically Middle-Earth's Arctic um, region. It's all snowy. It's... I think they're pretty close to where the North Pole would be in there. Yeah. Well, whatever that is, that is. I yes. And they show... Um, Galadriel and the others climbing up an ice, icy ice cliff. It looked very much like the Wildlings wall climbing scene in Game of Thrones. Uh, people say, oh, I hope this isn't going to be like Game of Thrones, and I know they mean, like, adult scenes, but... Well, they're having their, uh, ice climb scene, and it's like that. Oh, no. So, this might actually be a nod to, I'm going to mess up the pronunciation, this might be a nod to the First Age, when elves had a crossing of the grinding ice of Helcaraxi. Oh, okay. Um, it's in the wrong era, so maybe they didn't feel like they could fit it into the storyline, but it was cool in more ways than one, so, uh, uh, very cool, I should say. Never mind my bad, uh, dad pun there. No, that, that works. <laughs> so I think that was their way of trying to fit that in without actually putting it in. And they get in, they find an abandoned fortress. It looks pretty just evil looking. It looks like some of the old fortresses in Lord of the Rings Online in some regions. Or maybe a bit of White Witch's Castle aesthetics, but made out of stone. Not ice. But yeah, they find that it's unnaturally cold in there, even compared to their totally arctic surroundings outside. And it's got some weird skulls. They look like they came from Orc or even something weirder, a troll maybe. And they find Sauron's sigil, like, burned into a stone. And, like, all it takes is to pour some non-frozen, you know, water over it to have it show up clearly. Yeah, that's that's all it took. And, again, it's remarked to be centuries old like several hundred years old and uh they they uh and you know the, the elves the other elves are ready to call it quits and Galadriel is outright saying no I'm going to pursue this alone if need be and they're attacked by 
a snow troll. Yeah, a snow troll that looks very blatantly like a wampa polar bear type mix. Like, it looks like there was a nod to uh, the Star Wars wampa. It's got white shaggy fur. It's got big tusks. Now, snow trolls are not a thing that exists in Tolkien canon, but they're something that could exist. I mean, they do have various kinds of trolls. Yeah, it's clearly something... That's like something that would be in one of the video games, you'd expect. Yes, the video games have various stuff like that. There's... Um, yeah, the Lotro game I play has these kind of abominable snowman monsters, and they're not, um, as big as this, but, yeah, they have things called snow beasts that are implied to be, like, in the troll family, maybe. Yep. Um, or not, I'm not actually sure about that. So they have a battle with it. It throws some ice chunks and hits some elves. Galadriel kind of duels it and kills it. And her fighting style, it it definitely kind of looks like they're going a bit far with the you know, elves making it look like a dance. It, it looks maybe a little too choreographed to me. Yeah. It that that's one of those things that I feel like that was clearly made for just the show of the uh Oh yeah, you were you gonna mention how if Legolas had been there, if movie yeah. Legolas had been there, he yeah, would have just Mario run up that cliff and Yeah, I, I was contrasting that that scene where they were uh they were struggling to get off that up that cliff of ice climbing versus Legolas who was uh in the Hobbit movies, it, it wasn't even ice. It was, I mean, you could have said, oh, well, there was no ice. But no, the rocks were literally tumbling down at an accelerated rate with, you know, multiple tons, no doubt. And he is just hopping up them like he's literally Super Mario. And to, to, to kill, uh, to kill Bold. And yeah. It's, yeah, I was <laughs> saying, Legolas would have made it look easy. <laughs> So it's a different class, I guess, in the shows and movies. The scene shifts, and how they do these scene changes is they're actually showing them zooming over the map. Um, So it goes east of the Anduin River to the Rovenion region, and it shows two um, hunters, human hunters, and they're carrying moose antlers, full racks of moose antlers on their backs. No moose meat, moose antlers. Um, which, you know, impractical, heavy. I mean, sure, I'd want to keep the antlers too, but... In this kind of era, you hunt a moose, you're taking as much meat as you can, because you preserve that, and that's feeding your family for a good long time. Yeah, exactly. And these hunters are nervous and they think that these dangerous quote-unquote creatures called Harfoots are around. Yeah, Harfoot being... I even was watching, I was like, doesn't that mean Hobbit? And she's like, yes, it means Hobbit. So, um, the most to, common type Yes, of to be precise, there were three family branches of Hobbits and Harfoots were the most numerous. Yeah, but 
the idea is that they, they're scared of these little hobbits that are, uh, and we see these hobbits, they're just basically... Yeah, the hunters move on their way, and then a bunch of little hobbits foragers. pop out from, like, hidden, like, grass tufts and concealed hole dwellings. They're certainly not all fancy like they are in Bilbo's day. No, they're literal, they're foragers. They're little they're, foragers. They're nomadic foragers. They they're still... Barely, they're dressed, you know, very simply. Uh, they're still being hobbits. They're still eating and drinking and being little hobbits that are cautious about everything. But they're not, uh, they're not living in these holes or houses or... It's like, it sort of looks like a whole, vaguely, but it's, it's, I don't think it's permanently dug into the ground, and given that they're nomadic, I think they might be even moving these somehow. Yeah, or they might be making new ones, that was my guess, is that they're abandoning them eventually and making new ones, and the old ones are probably found by terrified humans thinking that the horror foots are doing who knows what. Yes. And and one Harfoot who seems to be their leader Sadok Burroughs played by Lenny Henry um, he has a sort of a magic book that's predicting events before they happen. And I mean little trivial events. Like, oh, they had a drawing of the the men with the moose antlers on their back, meaning the two hunters passed by. And then for a little foreshadowing, it showed a drawing of two wargs right after that. Yeah. Now, wargs, if you're not familiar with the, the Tolkien version of them, they're evil wolves that were corrupted by Sauron. Although in film adaptations they tend to go for more like prehistoric uh, carnivore megafauna than wolves in the normal sense of the word. One of my friends, my paleontology nerd friends actually shared a hilarious meme with it where they uh, they had uh, they had entelodonts, um, hyenodonts, and uh, I don't remember the other one, but they, they, they look, yeah, they look like there's various prehistoric, uh, animals that, uh, look that way. Both being prehistoric carnivores that are not closely related to wolves at all, and only vaguely look like something in that category. Yeah, like hyenodons, they're called hyenodons, but they're not related to hyenas or dogs, they're more closely, uh, I believe they're more closely related to, uh, hoofed animals. Intelligence, which are in fact both mammals, which are uh, um, wouldn't they be like more in the pigs? Pig. pigs, they are pigs. More or less. They're, they're 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 even called uh, the pig from hell or the warthog from hell. Um, but yeah, they the but some of these will look wolf like, uh, especially in the reconstructions. Uh, but the hyenodon is really and there is a. One of the halflings is named Nori, um, which actually that's that's not her that's not her full name, and it's already escaped me what her full first name was. 
Well, anyway, Nori Brandyfoot is um, younger, I think maybe teenage Hobbit, and she's kind of treated like she's a bit irresponsible. And she's she's an adventurous one, and you know how hobbits feel about adventuring. Yeah, and that's the how, thing they're kind of like like hatred of it. They're like adventuring bad, except this weird one does it, and this other weird one does it, and <laughs> yeah, she is out with a f- some friends picking blackberries, and I'm nitpicking over this that the. Blackberry vines didn't look quite right, as like as a gardener and forager, I was like blackberries, but the plant looks too woody. Um, mulberry, no, the leaves are wrong. But the leaves don't look quite right for a blackberry, but they don't look terribly, terribly off for blackberry. So I'm like nitpicking over that. Yeah. Now they pick a whole bunch of those. They look delicious. They were picking in a place they weren't allowed to go to. Yeah. And then one of them finds a weird paw print in the dirt. And this paw print came from a warg. But Nori said that it was from a dog. And I think she knew what it was, but didn't want to scare the others too much because she was pretty quick to um, get them to leave the area. And right after they're gone, a warg is seen sniffing around, and I thought they went for more of the Intellidont model with that, Bill. Yeah, they did. I'd say. I mean, they looked... I'm still trying to find the meme, because I was trying to find the other third one that they look like. Uh, but yeah, they, they, they look like that, and they look like they were, uh, they're gonna make them... That's another thing, is that wargs aren't consistent in size, in a lot of the interpretations, it seems. Then again, um, neither are orcs, or... Yeah, that's true. They can either be, like, not much bigger than a, like, something for a dwarf, or not much bigger than a wolf to, like, very... That's another thing. Hyenodons and Teledons were actually really pretty huge, like much bigger than wolves and uh uh and like they're bigger than uh um the biggest ones were bigger than uh the interpretations of like wild boar like really big wild boars or the inter- George R. R. Martin's interpretations of dire wolves like they were bigger than that notably bigger than that uh and and but, George R. R. Martin made the dire wolves too big yeah, too way big yeah so but the wargs, they can sometimes look smaller. And again, same with the orcs. Sometimes they'll look smaller. We don't have, I guess, the true consistency yet. We're going to see more of them. We've so far seen just I don't think Sauron cared too much about the consistency as long as they could fight good. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> but uh, I also remember what was in the original text. They were pretty consistent with their sizes. Uh, with the uh, goblins, orcs, and orukai. But... That's also one of those things. I mean, we're going to see more... Oh, the the goblins and orcs, um, which... Not that goblins and orcs really are different creatures from each other. No, one's just like... An orc is like a dire goblin. How about think of it like that? It's like they're the same sort of creature, but they vary in size, and the hobbits call them goblins, and um, goblin starts kind of being used for more like the mountain-dwelling ones than... 
So the scene shifts again, and it's um. We'll probably see more of all of that, and I get a better idea of what things are supposed to be. The elven capital of Linden of the High Elves, and it looks pretty good. It's got like trees and um the kind of like elven architecture like you're used to seeing. And Elrond is there writing some kind of poetry about spring rain over bones. Yeah. El- Elrond, Elrond, I like the depiction of Elrond here. He's a young elf man, and he's he's poetic. He's pretty friendly, uh, which, I mean, he's kind of always been that way in the depictions, but he's like this... You know, good-hearted guy who's going around and he, he wants to do good. He does want to fight evil, but he's trying to. Uh, he also, use, you know, it's. Yeah. He thinks they should. With everyone. But he also thinks that it's. It's over at this point, and they should. Go on living. Go on lives. living, and possibly if they hunt it too much, they'll stir it up more. Yeah. Um, and he's you know concerned about Galadriel. Now, He's at a good first, contrast to Galadriel. Galadriel, meanwhile, is obsessing over finding. Now, at first, you know, granted, I wasn't listening to the conversations as well until my second, you know, my rewatch. At first, I thought it made it look like Elrond might have like a thing for Galadriel. But no, he doesn't. They're friends. And I probably shouldn't assume that every time I see, like, a guy and a woman who, like, have any kind of affection toward each other whatsoever because, you know, just friendship exists. Alright, but to be fair in your defense, granted, that's how that works in real life. TV usually doesn't portray it that way or has a bad history of portraying it that way. Like the law, which you know you could argue is problematic because it's like why aren't there just more of that? But there's also, you know. But in this case, it actually like, was just that. Yeah. Um, now I will say that um, neither Elrond's wife Calabrian nor Galadriel's husband Celeborn have shown up in any way yet, and I don't know whether they will or not. And then we move on to back at the Harfoots, and they are gathering live snails to eat. Yeah, which advice don't ever do that. Don't eat raw escargot, yeah. Don't eat any kind of slug or snail raw because they can have some gnarly parasites which are not necessarily ones that are easy to get rid of even with modern medicine. Especially do not do that like in the tropics or in Australia. Just don't do that.
and the, the hobbits are also suspecting that the hunters were there because of some kind of trouble down south. I didn't think the hunters were even from the south. I mean, they, there they were hunting moose. But, and Nori, you know, the adventurous one, she's wondering what else is out there, which, you know, that's discouraged. You know, they they stay safe by keeping together, and they stay safe by staying on the trails, not going off adventuring. Scene shift again to the Elf Council, and they're honoring their warriors um, from the war. And that's when Elrond reads off his poetry about you know, rain over bones and the heroes of the war are granted the right to go to Valinor. Now this I always got the impression that any elf who wanted to and had a boat could go we, to Valinor yeah, if they That's I feel like that's what's implied. Now, at at this point, how Valinor is, is if human people were to set sail, they'd just go around the curve of the earth like in real life. But if elves do it, they have the option to sort of have another plane going where they can sail straight on and reach Valinor as if it was a flat world and they could... But this is only open to elven mariners. And so the heroes are granted this. And there's elven fireworks going off. Galadriel still does not want to go and do this because she still wants to hunt Sauron. Yeah, and she, and she has this look on her face the whole time. Like, I am I could be hunting Sauron. Sauron's getting away. Like, she has that look on her face the whole time uh, a lot of this is going on. Um, the map then shifts to the Southlands, where men are, and I think this is strongly implied to be what would become Gondor. That's where it looked like the right spot on the map, and it... Doesn't look far enough south to be Harad or Rune or anything further like that. It still looks like regular temperate climate plants and um, Arondir the elf arrives at a tavern as yeah men are talking about poison and. Yes, the barkeep about what's this about poison, and of course the barkeep is all defensive and is like, "Oh no, that's nothing. It's just some a patch of grass where only weeds will grow." I mean, you can kind of understand how mentioning poison could make the bar look bad, but in this case, they are telling the truth. It's a patch of grass. Yeah. And in this bar. 
there's obviously some uh, ill feeling toward Arondir for being an elf. They use knife ears. Somebody actually calls him a knife ear. Yeah, I know. They say knife. Yeah. He said, that's like an old, like, I'm not like a D&D. I think it is. It's not from Middle Earth. No, it's not. Well, Tolkien didn't usually, I don't recall him ever really introducing slurs, like racial slurs against his creatures. Like, he doesn't even do it with goblins or orcs, does he? Like, he just calls them, like, he'll call them stinking or whatever. There's some comparisons between halflings and rats more than once. Was there? Okay. Oh, yeah, that's right. Well, there was one in the house. It's like, Bilbo, you descendant of rats. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Okay, but there's no, like... There's no, like, outright going up to another uh, race of creatures. Yeah, you're like, a knife ear. Yeah. Uh, or, like, yeah, you're a, you're a short beard or whatever. Like, something weird like that. Like, they don't, they don't do things like that. If so. there are men he that... He calls them a knife ear. He calls them a knife ear. And if there are men that distrust elves or don't like them, it tends to, in canon, be either jealousy of their immortality and... Um, Ability to sail to Valinor, like that's a big one, or just some general. Well, they live in the woods and have magic, and I don't know about that, so that's scary, kind of. Like the Rohirrim's uh, reaction to mention of Galadriel back in um, the Two Towers. Yeah, you know, they they know she has magic, and they know the woods. The elven woods are perilous, so they think, you know, they're a witch. It's that she's a witch, and... So that's the kind of stuff that's in actual canon, but here, knife ears. Yeah, Yeah, so that was interesting. And also, when will you people let the past go? Our true king will return and pry us out from under your pointy boot. And yeah, that whole this, thing. yeah, this drunk guy is just like going on, and Arandir throws a punch at him, and the bartender actually blocks him. So was that? Was I kept that rewatching that scene to see what that happened, is, and that is what okay, happened. Hold on, we have to explain this just because when I I only seen this at this episode once. Sarah's seen it like two or three times now. To watch, I've seen, seen it twice, but it. I kept rewinding that scene yeah, to see what I, happened. And I wanted to watch it again because I said, wait, did he just like block a punch from an elf casually? Yes. And did. And elves are much, in Tolkien lore, not only Tolkien lore, in most fantasy lore, elves are much stronger than humans. And they, he, so he was either not trying or that human's really, really strong. <laughs> like he's just some. Yeah, that kind of older bartender guy can. He's some casually older, like, guy with super strength and, like, you don't want to mess with him because he, oh yeah, elves are also faster too. Like, yeah, that's faster. another thing. Like, he normally an elf would just like do something, and a human wouldn't be able to follow it that easily. Like, like if an elf wanted to punch a guy, he just would have done it, and there'd be nothing fast or strong get, enough to stop him. I get the impression an elf would be like max strength and speed compared to yeah. to a human of comparable height and weight. Yeah. So yeah, that happened. And Irondir leaves the bar and he's talking with a healer woman named Bronwyn about herbs and she's showing him some kind of like fringe flower she picked. 
Oh, and he seems all dismayed when she talks about crushing the flowers to make her medicines. Oh, come on. Elves never crush a plant. Yeah, but I'm still just amazed by the fact that that happened. And I, I, I they're, they're, they're just very weird. There's got to be something else going on that is going to happen um, that hasn't happened because we've, we're two episodes in. It's probably just going to. I guess it'll never be looked at again. But it was just a very, very weird series of moments there. And yeah, everyone here is talking with Bronwyn about Elven healers versus what she's doing and how. Oh, they're called, like, artificers? That was weird. That That's another D&D term. It is. That's, that's like, again... Artificers aren't healers, though. They're inventors of, like... No, they do things, like, with, like, forges and machines and things like that. Like, you know, and armor and weapons. And, like, they can do things and use enchantments, things like that. Um... And even though elves may not be getting sickness in the usual sense of the word, they've got plenty of reason for healers. They they get hurt in battle. They Well, anyway, he does say that, you know, the kind of work they're doing is different and they're called artificers. And after he leaves and goes walking off with his uh, friend who is also an elf, his friend thinks that there is something between uh, Arondir and Bronwyn and warning him it's not going to end well, it hasn't ended well for the other elves in their history who have fallen in love with a human. Now... So far, none of their actual interaction, like, as we, as we said, just because a man and a woman are on the screen and they're friendly doesn't mean they're in love, but I think that they are at least yeah. a little bit in this case. Yeah, and again, that's another thing with the TV. You don't know when that's being played up and when that's just, like... And usually, usually, conventionally, it's like, no, there has to be some sort of romantic tension there. So again, that's like why those, you know, it's one of those like criticize that if you want. It's, you know, a notable thing. And the elves, Arondir and his friends, they are soldiers at a nearby like, watchtower. And um, Bronwyn also has a son who, I don't know, he looks maybe 13. I, I'm not sure. And the son's name is Theo. I know neither Bronwyn nor Theo are really names that quite fit Middle-earth. Suppose Theo is not short for Theoden. It could be. But they're not from Rohan. She has a son and... Their father, his father has left. I don't know whether that means he was a deadbeat and ran out on them, or whether he went off for some more legitimate reason and maybe got killed or something and didn't come back. But whatever, he's not in the picture, he's gone. Um... 
Theo is hearing quote-unquote mice under the floorboards. Um, I think I can say right off, it's not mice. Yeah. It's not mice. Nope. Um, Erondir is, um, talking to her again, and someone comes and says there's a man to see her, and Erondir, like, right off looks, like, pretty disappointed and walks away, which I'd say, yes, that's a hint. There is something between them. Yeah. That's, but, yeah, it's... But, again, it's hard to, Yeah, I don't know. Well, they certainly made it look like that. Well, the man to see her was actually a customer who needed her healing skills for a sick cow. And she's looking at the cow and not finding, like, obvious things wrong with it. But then she tries to squirt some milk from the udders, and it's black and nasty and gooey and just doesn't look right. <laughs> and the cow's owner said that it had been you know, grazing further east, and it may have eaten something bad, so it's implied it ate from that poison grass patch. Um... Well, yeah, it's, it has, like, yeah, it's, like, giving, like, bile instead of milk or something like that, or whatever it's supposed yeah. to be, and it's really gross, and I think it's implied to be, uh, yeah, like, I hope the cow's evil. gonna, they never say what happens with the cow, and I hope the cow's gonna be okay, but. I'm, yeah, poor cow, that's, uh, but who knows. Now, not to give veterinary advice in this podcast, but most cow ailments that involve the milk looking totally wrong, I believe are gonna, in real life, involve having to milk the stuff out until it replaces. Um, yeah, I'm talking like James Harriet era veterinary stuff, so I'm not here giving medical advice for your cow, whatever's going on. Um... And while this is happening, Theo and another boy are poking around in a barn where it's pretty implied they're not supposed to be. And Theo finds a broken sword with the Sauron sigil on it, and of course he's handling it. Yeah, don't handle any like evil-looking magical weapons that look like they belong to yeah, Sauron. Yeah, just ra- randomly handle it. That's like... Like, I'm thinking of the... Morgul blade that pierced Frodo and I'm like, don't touch that, don't get yeah. poked on that, don't Um Shifts again to elves The elves are gonna be sailing west, you know, I get the elves are sailing west and of elves that have not sailed west, you see, uh, Celebrimbor has a project, and he wants Elvon to help. Yep. That's foreshadowing. That, that's foreshadowing. I mean, we, I think you might be guessing what Celebrimbor's project yeah. is. And Sadok, the halfling, is studying the stars, um, for omens. 
So yeah, it's shifting the scenes pretty fast now. Irondu and Bronwyn are traveling a little way east to investigate the problem with the poisoned grass. And Irondu mentions about the history of the human town of... I did not quite catch what he called it. I want to say hold, but I... Yeah, I wasn't sure what it is either. Remember I asked you like several times what it was? Hold, Holden something. Yeah. I did not catch it. But the history of being especially loyal to Morgoth, he just brings that out of the blue. And Bronwyn is offended by this. Like, these are her friends. Um, they get on and find a town that is completely burned. Now, I don't know whether it's that town or the one that Bronwyn was living in that was implied to have been especially loyal to Morgoth. Yeah. But, you know, despite their uh, prejudice toward elves, these look like regular farmer, peasant people. Yeah, and they don't... And again, that's sort of what makes that more puzzling as to what was going on with that. But Sarah offered some hypotheses. It's just, it's one of those things where uh, I guess maybe more will be revealed later, but I don't know. Maybe. Um, The elves on the ship into the west are taking off their armor as they approach Valinor and they're singing. Yes, they were wearing full plate mail on board a ship. Like, I know they're all, like, perfect elves who probably aren't going to accidentally fall overboard. But, yeah, don't wear full plate mail on a ship, because if you go overboard, you're going down. Yeah, then you'll I don't care how good a swimmer you are, you can't swim in plate mail. No, you cannot. And... Galadriel's having some kind of flashbacks to her brother giving his speech about boats again. Boats, uh, ah. and she's thinking of the light and looking different under the water. And which way do you go? And she just jumps overboard to swim all the way back to Middle Earth. How many hundreds of miles? Yeah. Yeah, I don't care if she's an elf, I don't care if she's immortal, she can't just swim forever. She's gonna get tired, she's gonna drown unless, you know, either someone picks her up or, you know, divine intervention. There was an elf in the Silmarillion named Elwing, not meaningful name or anything there, who dives into the sea and the Valor intervene and turn her into a seagull and she lives. But... Uh, that's still quite a bit to count on to just jump overboard and... Yeah. But, no, there's no way that Galadriel, even if she's Galadriel, can swim that distance without drowning, without anyone helping her. And, uh, back where the halflings are... Oh, a meteor is falling, and people in various places are seeing this, but where it lands is in the halflings area, and Nori and her friend Poppy are the ones who witness it land, and the area is all on fire, and in the middle of the crater where it landed, 
there's a bearded guy who's wearing nothing but a loincloth. Just kind of curled up there. Yep. And who is this bearded guy? We don't know. Exactly. And that ends episode one. Uh, episode two, which is appropriately called Adrift. Remember, we're collateral dead. Yeah. Um, they actually have an opening uh, sequence with an actual, I guess, theme. They didn't in the first one. And it's blowing sand. It looks like it's made out of gold. And it blows into sh- shapes that suggest rings and trees. And you see something slithering under the sand. It's it's weird. Opens right up to Galadriel floating in the sea. You know, I guess trying to still swim for shore. I guess so. Uh, goes back to Nori and Poppy, who are at the meteor site, and Nori actually falls into it. I puts her hands like right over what should be on fire, and like it isn't hot. And her friend just wants her to get out of there, but she doesn't. And the man wakes up and grabs Nori's arm. And they're calling him a giant because they are halflings and he's a regular sized dude. And as he's yelling, rocks are actually, you know, defying gravity and flying up. I don't mean like a blast, like they're floating up. So he clearly has some form of magic. But we still don't know who he is. No, we don't. We we had some thoughts on it, but I don't know. Will we bring it up now or later? Yeah, it's up to you, sir. I mean, we don't know who this guy is. We've been wondering, could he be Gandalf? Or somebody else like that? Could he be Radagast, the guy with all the mushrooms and uh, rabbits? Some people think he might be Sauron. I, at this point... I don't think he's Sauron. I don't think he's Sauron either. Yeah. Bombadil? I also think no, that one's off. So yeah, either. he's just not. And this is second age, so we know that it couldn't be certain first age characters, but. Well, Noi and Poppy both agree they're not going to tell Noi's mom about this. And they take the guy home in a um, cart, but obviously not home home, not to Noi's parents' house. Um, back in the Southlands, Arondir and Bronwyn find a dug passage underneath the burned town, and they don't think it's natural, and... Irondir insists on going on into the tunnel alone. Yeah. Back in, uh... Back with Elrond, they're in Eregion, which is the area close to where the doors of Moria are in Lord of the Rings. Got a lot of holly trees. Yeah. Yeah. Then Eregion, Elrond, and Celebrimbor, and... They're looking at Fianor's hammer, and they're discussing his hammer and his work, and how it even even Morgoth was moved by it, and um, Celebrimbor wants to make an important work too. 
Once again, more foreshadowing. And he'd like Elvon's help, and really he'd like to have a lot of workers helping him, but he doesn't have a lot of workers. He has Elrond. Nope, he has Elrond and... He wants to get his own big forge, and... Um, Elrond goes to seek alliance with Durin in the Dwarven Kingdom of Khazad-dûm. Now, this was one of those things where when that came up, I asked, wait, is this, like, Durin-Durin? And no, it's not. It's uh, one of the many Durins that came after him. Yeah, it's it's a traditional name that gets given again and again, and the dwarves even have a belief that if they don't have a suitable ruler, you know, Durin the first will, like, get reincarnated to lead them again. And whether he really does or not. That's uh, like one of those things I'd wonder if they ever thought it had happened a few times. And it's like, there's just... Anyway. Well, I think some parents would like their son to be that Durin, so they named him Durin. Yeah, well, everybody wants their kid to be Jesus, too. So, you know. So, yeah, they're outside the door, and it doesn't look quite like it does in the Lord of the Rings movies. It's got a little... No, but it looks like it's something that, like, could become that yeah. eventually. And um, you can see the Cyrenon stream. It's very shallow and rocky. It looks like more rocks than water. Definitely no deep, gloomy pool with a octopus in it. Yeah. Definitely nothing like that. So it's interesting to see it before that happens. So, yeah, Elvon goes to seek his audience, and the dwarf at the door just says no. Yeah, he just says no, <laughs> um, and turns him away, so that clearly didn't work out very well. And Elvon goes back and uh, evokes the right of Sigan Tarag to be let in. I actually looked up this word, and apparently it just means long beards. So Segan would be long and rag beards in neo Kuzdal, which means it. Tolkien himself didn't write a whole lot of Torvish language, but you know people have worked with what there was and um, made some language to use in the movies, or I guess use for their own RPGing, perhaps. Yeah, that's what I got. from. Well, it turns out this Rite of Seekin Tarag is a rock-splitting contest. And... The, yeah, we thought it was combat at first, but the, he was, uh, Durin was very confident that he was going to win it. And we it, were kind of wondering what the catch was, and that's what it was. It was rock splitting. Instead. It's a rock splitting contest. Something dwarves are specialized in. And well, if the dwarf wins, you lose. Okay, if if you win or the elf wins, you're granted a single boon. If the dwarf wins, you're banished from all dwarven lands forever. Yeah. <laughs> I gotta say, the Dwarf Kingdom looks awesome. Yeah, it's... it looks really neat. It looks pretty, like, cool. And it's interesting, as Elrond was, like, amazed and impressed by it. And he's like, he's like, wow, you did this so fast. And, well, we'll talk about the contest first, and then we'll discuss that. Because that goes into what his problem is. Because he's really clearly pissed off at Elrond about something. 
So, yeah, they get... Very cold towards H gave them a giant, uh, rock to split. They both get a pick hammer, and, um, every time they split a rock, they give them new rocks to split. Until, you know, one of them can't do it anymore. Yep. But it doesn't show you the outcome yet. So you're back to the halflings, and the guy who came with the meteor, he doesn't understand the halflings' language at all. Now, they're all speaking, you know, English to us. Yeah. But he, he doesn't seem to have any language, and they're just trying to teach him what their name is and ask what his name is. And he doesn't seem to understand this at all. Nope. Um, he may even have amnesia. I think that's the implication. And... Yeah, Nori actually goes on about all the time she fell out of a tree. And for a week she didn't know the words for things. It was calling strawberries pigberries. Yeah. And she starts giving him the live snails to eat. And Meteor Man is eating these right up. Once again, do not do this, people. Gnarly parasites. Yeah, don't attempt that sort of thing. <laughs> oh, yeah, we had that guess on whether or not hobbits were just immune to oh, right. parasites and many toxins and things like that. So there isn't anything in actual Tolkien canon or any of the movies about this, but there was some kind of meme thread from either Tumblr or Twitter and the joke was what if hobbits were immune to toxins and could eat just whatever mushrooms they wanted and, and then like Aragorn could be like oh no don't eat those and Pippin be like what and, and you just eat them <laughs> and like you can imagine like hobbits serving that up and somebody like a guest who happens to just be there that could be why they think hobbits are dangerous is because they can just eat whatever they want and once again this is a fan joke yeah, there's nothing in joke. actual Tolkien or any of the there's movie adaptations absolutely nothing supported by this in canon like this is totally but it, it's, it's a funny fan theory and you know it's is you know Amazon's pulling some things uh, out of nowhere anyway so you know And, well, anyway, back to what's actually going on in this. The guy from the meteor is drawing some kind of a design in the dirt. And while this is going on, hobbits, including Noe's father, are setting up a tent. Really big tent that, you know, multi-hobbits are setting up. And when while this is happening, a rope breaks and Noi's father goes down really hard on his ankle. Yeah, he breaks his ankle in a really gross, gnarly way, which to like, be they fair, say there's twisted, not too much but it looks so worse than it no, did it when like I actually broke mine. So. Yeah, it looked like he just snapped it. No, I think it's implied that it's worse, and he's trying to be tough about it, or he's trying to, you know, downplay it. No, he like snaps his, it snaps in a very gnarly, gross way that uh, and, made me shudder. Um, <laughs> That's one of those things that'll make me more shudder than, uh, shudder more than like a decapitation or something like that. I'm weird. Like all, 
I'll shrug off like so, like watching something like that. Well, I it's like one of those things is a lot more likely to happen to the average person in real life than ever seeing yeah. a. And I've seen that sort of thing. And you know, of course, this is tradable, but he's not gonna be able to walk or travel for a while. Um. Galadriel off adrift finds a raft with human refugees on it. Yeah. Now, my first reaction was, are those from Numenor? Is this some kind of, like, nod to Numenor in the, um, when Numenor was drowned and... Okay, the actual survivors of Numenor were in proper sized ships. Yeah. But I thought, are these Numenorians that have somehow made it? Um, like, I thought that, you know, one of them was Muriel from Numenor and all that. Well, my theory was not correct, as we'll find, but, um, they're... They don't actually want to take her on board the raft because, you know, that's going to be another mouth to feed with their very meager rations. But they do take her on board. And somebody finds, like, brushes back her hair or something and finds that she's got pointy ears. Oh, no, she's an elf. And once again, they dislike elves for no discernible yeah, reason. Yeah, we don't know what's going on with this. If they were Numenoyans, that would have at least made sense, but they're not, so... Yeah, well, Sarah thought they were, and we were in... That actually made the story make some more sense, but no, it, it's not. We don't know what is going on with this. We don't know why. We do know that, okay, that as Sarah mentioned, el- uh, humans are somewhat jealous of elves' immortality and their ability to just... Do whatever, really, and it, and it has a significant, but not. It's not the only reason that Numenor fell, but it's. It was a reason. It is one of the reasons. Yeah. Um, the rest, you know, had to do with you know general corruption and straight up worship of forces of darkness. It wasn't just envy of elves that was going on, but. Um, anyway, a sea monster attacks. They actually think that they're looking at the sail of a ship at first, but it's like the fin of a sea monster. It kind of had kind of a dragon shark build, sort of. Yeah, well, I was thinking, yeah, it looks almost like they were gonna almost go for a, uh, yeah, like another prehistoric type of animal or something like a, like almost like a Donkleosteus or something like that, but I don't know. You don't really get a good look at it. Oh, uh, sea monsters are not like necessarily part of Tolkien canon, but, you know, they had the giant squid already, yeah. and um, I believe that was actually called the Accursed of Olmo before it was the Watcher in the Water. Um... It's not that far out of the realm of something that could be out there. It attacks, it sinks the raft. I think everybody was most likely either drowned or eaten. 
except and Galadriel is just pushed straight overboard on purpose by one of the humans but one human man and Galadriel survive on a smaller raft. I didn't properly catch his name. I think he said it was Halbarad, which uh, it works. Does that mean anything? Or it's in an it's an existing Middle Earth name, so it's yeah. I, I Sarah Sarah will know if it's something made up or not. So it's uh, he or, he isn't anybody you know. Yeah. Uh. Back in uh, the Dwarf uh, Kingdom, Elrond loses the rock-splitting contest. He did well. He did really well, but he lost. And because he doesn't want to lose the opportunity of what he was trying to do, he asks that if he's being banished, he wants Durin himself to escort him out. And Durin agrees to that, and they're riding up in an elevator, and um, Elrond tries to bring his proposal again for um, the help he wants to get from the dwarves. And Durin is offended by this, and is like, you want... You want help now? You say you miss me now? You missed my wedding. You missed the birth of both of my children. <laughs> and it's implied that this came from your know, elves not taking time seriously because they're immortal. Well, to be fair, they actually do a really good job of showing that and say, like, he's like, wait, it was 20 years? Really? Like, I can totally see you losing track of time. And he does take it seriously. He's like, oh, shit, I'm sorry. Sorry. And dwarves do have two to three times the lifespan of a regular human, if, as long as they're not killed. Mm-hmm. But still, it's nothing compared to an elf. Yeah. And, um... Durin does accept his apology to the point where he's willing to go go and uh, introduce Elrond to his family, but he's like, you're still not staying for dinner, you're still gonna leave after. Now he does stay, though. But he does stay, because the, the wife, wife is like, yeah, you're staying for dinner. and The wife is very hospitable. The and, beardless yeah, wife. So yeah, she a- doesn't... She only has a bit of sideburns. I've already talked about that. She needs a real beard. Well, the problem is that you have all these uh, uh, these other takes on elves and dwarves and how they appear and all that and that sort of gets lost, the idea that there have been like legitimate debates over how bearded elf wi- or dwarf women should be, but I am in the same campus. Here well, in actually did. written by Tolkien, the peoples of Middle-earth, yeah. dwarves both the uh, men and the women are bearded from the very beginnings of their life so the dwarven little girls have beards um dwarven little boys have beards yep that's my head cannon too your mama had no beard yes yeah. your well, mother was beardless well anyway yeah she 
She's very hospitable. She invites Elrond to dinner. And their two kids, oh, it's adorable. They have on these giant oversized dwarf head masks over their faces completely. And they're just, like, headbutting each other. Because of course they are. Of course they are. And... Um, she talks about how they met and how he kept going to quote unquote, you know, inspect the um the mining, but he was really meet going there to meet her and didn't have the courage to ask her out. And she was talking about like singing to the the stone to find what they're mining for. It was all very dwarfly. Um Oh, and she says, Owly's beard. There's a language warning on these episodes, and I hadn't heard any actual real-life bad language, so are we talking Owly's beard here and the knife ears comment? Is that the quote-unquote foul language there's a warning of in the... Owly's beard, that's a bit of a religious swear if a dwarf says it. Yeah, I was going to say, that's a... That's somewhat of a blasphemy. Um, and yeah, Durin asks about the king's proposal. I, I didn't see there as being any king at that point. With the Calabrimbor's not a king. He's a master craftsman and blacksmith. He's not a king. Um, back to Halberad and Galadriel on the raft, if indeed his name is Halberad. Um, she's questioning him why he would leave his companions. And to be fair, it didn't look like he left them. It looked like they just went under very quickly. And I don't think anybody, um, short of some kind of water vela, is going to be saving them. Yeah, I agree. And he's guessing, like, you didn't... You weren't really separated from your ship by accident. No. Things don't happen by accident to you, which is the truth. Which is pretty true. Um, you were running away from something, and he's, and, um, he says also that the people on the raft were from the Southlands, so I was totally off base with, um, Numenor, and that they were driven out by orcs. Now, I don't know why driven out by orcs would put them on a raft in the middle of the sea somewhere. I guess that would not be my first place I'd think of running, but uh, I guess they were closer to the sea than I thought and had a ship. Um, I guess orcs, can they swim? I don't know. I assume that they could, but I don't think orcs have any um, known shipbuilding and boating. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, back in the Southlands, you're looking at the burned-out village, and there are some dragon designs on the stone. Now, I don't know whether that's to imply that dragons did it. See, all that time, I thought that orcs burned out the city, which, you know, Orcs are perfectly willing to do. You don't need to be a dragon to burn a city down. But the dragon designs make me wonder. Mm-hmm. And Bronwyn is back in her town warning the people about the tunnel that were found. 
and Theo is um, back in the house getting frustrated that the mouse noise is under the floor and just like attacks the floor with the sword out of frustration and um, little hole shows up in the floor and there's an orc peering through it. Yep. Kind of a ratty looking orc, but an orc. Yeah, it was meant to be that way, no doubt. It was horrific. Um, around there is shown crawling in the tunnel space. And there's lots of rats in there. And he is crawling it slow. And he gets into water. And he gets once he gets to the end of the water, he's looking into it and bubbles are coming out. And at this point, you're probably expecting tentacles to pop out of that. I was. Well... Nothing comes out of the water, but some orc hands grab him from behind while he's not looking. Um, Bronwyn finds the hole in the floor in the house. And an orc comes out of that hole, and Bronwyn and Theo both battle with this little runty orc that's very difficult to kill. They're stabbing it, they're hanging it, and it just keeps going until... Um, one of them stabs it, like, in the face. Yeah, so they make these orcs, like, superhuman, I guess? I this mean, one at least was. Any like, stab that would kill a human would also kill an orc, yeah, but they not, made it very... Yeah, in, in previous adaptations, as well as the original work, orcs aren't, like, super... They're hard to kill in the sense that humans are hard to kill. They're not, like... Yeah, They're I took, not unusually tough. They're I took just, orc toughness to mean endurance or ability yeah. to eat not quite potable food and water. Yeah, but, well, yeah, exactly. They're like that. But if you were to, like, you know, stab them in the back, like, completely, like, through with something or... They're know, not gonna. They're whatever. not gonna still be fighting, but this one was. This one was. This one. Uh, this one just kept doing it. Like and nothing was bringing this. And this down. one was really runty. This was like a halfling or smaller sized orc. Yeah, it's towards the goblin end side of things. So. Well, after they finally successfully kill it, Bronwyn brings the orc's head right into the tavern, and says, "Like, if any of you want to live, we're gonna make for the Elven Tower at first light." Yeah. Um, we're back to um, Galadriel, and there's a very severe storm going on, and I don't, I didn't quite see how Galadriel did this, but she got herself roped to an anchor that fell overboard with her with it, and she's just kind of weirdly floating down, not struggling against it at all, not that she could have done much. Um, remember what we said about the full plate mail, this is worse? Yeah. Um... But then Halbarad um, jumps in and swims down very far, much further than he realistically could have, to untie and rescue her, which he does. Um, Back with the halflings, Nori is telling the meteor man that they will be migrating in a couple of days, and she shows him a firefly lantern filled with fireflies, and he's like playing with the fireflies, and we were wondering if he was going to eat them. Uh, once again, never eat a firefly. They are very toxic. They have a chemical called luciferin that gives them their glow. Yeah, but it's also not. very toxic. 
Do not eat a firefly. Do not feed it to your pet lizard. Just don't. Don't feed it to any. Let, don't let any animals or children eat fireflies. It Just is enjoy very, them in nature. Yeah. Well, it turned out he was not going to eat them. He was communicating with them in some way and getting them to form into formations like a constellation. And they do. They go up to the sky. So there you go. Stars are fireflies, which. Makes and, enough sense in anything else. In uh, no, the world. they didn't do that. They're not saying stars are fireflies. No, but, I know, but yeah. it made it seem that way. <laughs> and they, the two hobbits, they get the impression that he wants them to go and find those stars, which are not a constellation that they recognize. Yeah. Well, it's 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 clearly indicating that they have to find where those stars will be like that and that's the location on Middle Earth where they have to go to. Right. Um, Elrond um, does get to have his meeting with King Durin. See, the Durin that they were talking about was not the king. He's the son of the king. So, King Durin is there and he mistrusts the elf So not sure, you know, what's going to come of that. And um, we go back to Theo, and he is holding that Sauron sword that he found, and he thinks it's something special, which, like, I'm sure it is in a bad, horrifying kind of way. And he seems to have taken a small injury fighting with the orc and a bit of the blood trips onto the sword and it's like fire and darkness are coming out of it and Theo is still holding the thing put it down, put it down, put it down Um, and you're next seeing the humans from that village are taking Bronwyn's advice they're leaving and migrating elsewhere so I'm not sure what's going to come of that. But. No, we, we, but, I, I mean, it's one of those things, like I said, I assume a lot of these things that we have these questions about, we're going to, they're going to be answered at some point. I mean, I'm going to be pretty patient because we are only on episode three. Two. Or, well, I'm saying we're about to be on episode three. Um, we've only had two episodes. I think that they were mostly well done with that, but, uh, you know. And... The final scenes that they show, the storm has broken, and Galadriel and Halbarad are still on that raft. And so the episode ends. So, it did feel like Middle-earth. It is entertaining. It has very little to do with actual canon. Yeah. So, no, you're not going to find a canon adaptation of the Silmarillion here, but um, I am enjoying the show so far. Do you think I'll enjoy the rest? I'm going to keep at it, see how it is. Some of the stuff was weird to me. Like I said, that uh, that whole ship thing, and some of it I feel like they're trying to be... They're tr- oh, I, I want them to try to do Tolkien. I want them to also try to, like... 
do it well and not just post or, you know, like, have it, like, show something that just, you know, sort of happens and all that. Like, I don't, like, just random, like, attempt at words like I'm doing right now. Um, I like it overall. I thought that, I think the action's great. I think the uh, special effects and the scenery is beautiful. Um, um, the Dwarf Kingdom was a real highlight for me. Yeah. But I don't think, like, I'm I'm gonna give it a try. I think some of it kind of was off. Uh, and again, I think they're trying to be Tolkien when they're not Tolkien. Nobody's talking with Tolkien. Uh, I'd say the most questionable moment was Galadriel seriously thinking she could swim hundreds of miles without well, help. That I was even more able to suspend disbelief on because whatever they're elves, they're superhuman, whatever. They're even not though, that superhuman. I know. Well, there's a lot of weird issues. Like, well, there's not a consistency between that and the fact that that one guy just blocked an elf punch. Although, what I wonder is if they're going to make elves like they do have elves like have rankings and both ability and status, but I wonder if they're going to make, like, a greater disparity than there actually is. Because there's not that... Oh, uh, like, the High Elf can swim for miles? Yeah, and... the High Elf can do all these things, because it has all these un these feats unlocked, versus the regular Elf is, like, not really much more than a human. Where... But, and again, there's a degree of that in the original stories, but not to, like, a huge disparity where, as Sarah said, one would be able to swim... 3,000 miles and the other wouldn't be able to punch a human. Like, well, a high it's... <laughs> elf has basically, they've they've gotten into more lore, they've hung out with yeah. the Valar more. Um, yeah, things like that. But it's not necessarily saying, oh... It, it, you're not like a whole different species or anything. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I, I do enjoy it overall. I'm gonna stick with it. At least either it'll, it'll either get better or it won't. So... Um, Sarah, I don't know. Um, stay tuned for more Rings of Power and more House of the Dragon. Thank you for listening to Cast Into the Fire podcast. Um, please follow us, review, join our Facebook group. Um, give us any feedback. We'd like to hear it. And, uh, and good morning.